This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mamalidi. If there's anything that I'm getting from all of this time at home, it's the ability to get back to basics. Just really enjoy the process. My daughters, whenever asked, you know, I'm like, girls, what would you like mom to make for dinner tonight? Pasta. They'll usually either ask for spaghetti or penne, seem to be their favorite. I still make my pasta by hand. You know, I do the well with the eggs and everything, and, and then I knead out the dough and then uh, pull out my mom's, I think it's 40 years old, 40 plus, her pasta machine. And we still pull out the pasta machine, turn the crank handle, I love it. From Fables and Focaccia and Food Fables on Instagram, we have the talented Jenny Arena with us today. She's a blogger that's passionate about food and preserving Italian culinary traditions. I want to kind of just jump right in. And so for the people that don't know your story, take a few minutes, walk us through who Jenny is. Okay, I am a um, second generation Italian Canadian. My parents uh, were born in Italy and immigrated to Canada. And I, um, just in uh, learning all of the culture and tradition, developed a passion for it and um, particularly the culinary aspects of it and have for the last 11 years um, been trying to document that through my blog, Fables and Focaccia, and now sharing sharing it in the other uh, realms of the social media world as well. But what inspired you to write the food blog? So I, uh, for the longest time, was thinking about writing a cookbook. I had started to write down stories because every every single family recipe I found had a great story attached to it. And so I started to write down the stories. And then I was having a conversation with one of my girlfriends. And um, she said to me, you know what? Writing a book is hard and getting published is hard. Why don't you consider writing a blog? Because then you're online, you're self-published. And I thought, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And this is like 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't even like blogs weren't really a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did some research and uh, I started off on one of those free platform e-blogger or something like that. I don't even remember. And it just kind of spawned from there. And I found that I, um, that I was resonating with people and connecting with people. So, uh, so the blog grew, the audience grew. I have since moved over uh, to a different platform. And yeah, and I've just been, you know, sharing what I call my tastes and tales from the soul. Oh, I love that. And you mentioned you've been doing this for 11 years. Yes. How, for you, has blogging changed since you started? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, first of all, like I said, nobody was really a blogger before. It was just like I was I was a rare breed. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes I talk about it and I think, oh, my God, I'm such a geezer in this world now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, you know, before, before all the visuals kind of came into play, you know, before it was just, it was all about the words. It was all about the storytelling. And now it's evolved into, um, you know, the pictures have to be on point. Um, and there's this whole movement now towards video content. So, uh, you know, I've had to learn and adapt in order to be able to remain relevant with people. Now, I've got some games. Okay, yes, I love the games. You're in, okay, see, I didn't have to ask. Good, good, I'm so happy. First one we're gonna do is this or that. The choice is yours. You can get with this or you can get with that. Pizza or pasta? Uh, pizza. Eggs, fried or scrambled? Uh, scrambled. Toilet paper, over or under? Over. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yes. But over. Yes, because when it's under, you are rolling that thing nonstop. <laughs> Truth or dare? Okay. 
No, one of the uh, other. Oh, I have to choose one. I thought you were telling me truth or dare. Okay, sorry. Um, oh my I god, think... it could have so gone with that one. Just a dare. <laughs> I dare you to stand outside and sing. Um, um, oh, so that's which tough. One? That's tough. Um, maybe, maybe truths. I think I would go truths. Salty or sweet? Oh, that's hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's hard. Um, you know what? I think salty because I'm more of a cook than a baker, although I do bake a lot, but savory is always sort of the first kind of pick. Okay. Instagram or Facebook? Uh, Instagram. Orange or apple? Apple. So with your cereal, do you pour <laughs> the cereal first or pour the milk first? I pour the cereal first. So do I. <laughs> I feel like it keeps its crunch that way. I don't know. I know, but I've heard of people pouring their milk first. <laughs> That's so bizarre. So what was it that got you into cooking? I was basically my dad's sous chef from the time I was like very little. My earliest memory in the that. kitchen. Yeah, yeah. My earliest memory in the kitchen is being with my dad, him pulling up a chair so that I could, you know, be counter height. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just he would let me just kind of like fiddle around in the kitchen with him and, you know, get my hands in the dough or, or mix or do whatever. And then uh, when I was about 11 years old, I, I, um, I made my very first sauce. I'll never forget my very first sauce all by myself. My dad just supervising to make sure, you know, I didn't burn myself on the stove, but with such pride. And I made, I made this, you know, sugo or sauce Mm -hmm. and, um, just beaming with pride, you know, my dad just kind of looking over and, and yeah. And so it stemmed from there, you know, it was just like graduating from being his helper to, to being able to do it on my own. And, and um, I'm quite fortunate now that I actually live with my parents. So I still uh, get to cook alongside my father and I love it. Oh, I love that the tradition continues on. Yes. And so, and, and yeah, speaking of tradition, I'm a mother myself now. So I'm trying to pass on that same joy of cooking to my twin daughters. And um, it brings me such joy to be able to share the, I, the things that I grew up with with them. So, you know, again, from when they were, I would say about two years old, they were already cracking eggs in the kitchen, my daughters. So would you say your cooking style would be Italian? Yeah, primarily Italian, although I do like to experiment with other, um, with other uh, cuisines as well. I, I used to have a colleague who was Asian and um, she and I would swap recipes all the time because she loved Italian food and I loved uh, Chinese food. So she shared quite a bit of her recipes with me. And, um, and so I, if I, if I have to say sort of my second favorite cuisine is probably Chinese and I love, I love their flavors too, you know, and, uh, the spices and the different vegetables and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I definitely can understand that because I love actually doing a lot of infusion cooking. Yeah. It's, and you know what, it's amazing how, um, so many different cultures, we all have something that is similar. She and I, our joke used to be that, um, you know, panzerotti are kind of like the dumplings, right? It's something filled <laughs> and fried. Yeah. And every, every style of cooking or form of cooking all have some type of fried dough. Absolutely. Right. So it's, it's amazing how you bridge those cultural, um, gaps too, right? Yeah. We all have, if you look hard enough, and, and it's funny because even like the title of my blog, Fables and Focaccia, like the, the focaccia part is bread. Bread is something that I think is universal in every single cuisine. Absolutely. Were there any other cooking inspirations in your life? Any cookbooks, any other family chefs? Yeah, first and foremost, my father, because he, he although my mom's a great cook too, I don't want to dismiss my mother in any of this, mm. but my mother's the traditionalist. Like, um, from my mother, I learned all my grandmother's recipes, you oh, know, the, all the that. traditional, yeah, all the traditional like calabres staples, if you will. 
My dad, on the other hand, he's the creative guy. So he'll, he's the guy who I learned from to like look in the refrigerator, pull out what you have and, and throw it together and make a meal. And that comes from the fact that he, as a young man, as a teenager, having been born and raised in Southern Italy, mm-hmm. wasn't much work. So he and his older brothers all moved to, uh, to the North, to Milan, and they had to fend for themselves. And so he learned, he learned how to take care of himself from a very early age and how to cook from a very early age. Um, and so he, he's sort of that kind of like survival cooking kind of, you know, like, oh, what do we have in the refrigerator? How can I use it? Make sure we don't throw it away kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And other inspirations um, also kind of stem from my dad, because one of the one of the rituals that I had growing up as a, as a little girl was Saturday mornings, we would sit and watch on PBS, we would watch uh, Biba Kajano. Mm-hmm. Um, Biba, I met her. Remember, remember Biba? She was fabulous. I was so sad to hear when she passed. I, I honestly, I fangirl <laughs> when I met her. My husband could not stop laughing. He says, I can't believe you. You don't understand. I'm so freaking excited right now. Yeah, I can believe it. And um, the other the other ones that we used to watch were, I know I know it's not cool to talk about him anymore, but Mario Batali. I did love Mario Batali growing up. We used to watch Molto Mario all the time. And uh, and Lydia Bistianich, who I did have the, the pleasure and honor of not only meeting, but being able to interview uh, years ago for a magazine that I used to write for. So that was huge. Like when you're talking about your experience with Biba, that was me with Lydia. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, I would do the same <laughs> if I met Lydia. Yeah, she's so amazing. And she was just here last year doing a promo of her latest cookbook. And she she came to our local Fortinos and she did a book signing. And my daughters happen to be big fans of her too. They actually call her Nonna Lydia. Like we watch her on no. Yeah, we watch her on TV and they love watching her. And so I had actually purchased for my daughters. She has a she has a few children's books that she's written. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had bought the girls uh, her one of her one of her um, children's books for Christmas a few years back. And uh, and so all three of us stood in line to get our books autographed by Lydia last year. I love it. <laughs> and you mentioned your girls. You're the proud mom of two twin girls. Yes, I am. Yes. What's your go to meal for the girls? For the girls, pasta, 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 <laughs> hands down. My daughters, whenever asked, will always say, you know, I'm like, girls, what would you like mom to make for dinner tonight? Pasta. <laughs> okay, what does that pasta <laughs> dinner look like? Pasta dinner is typically um, with like a, a ragu. So what we do is on we make our big, we make our big pot of ragu on Sunday, the nice meaty um, sauce. And then I'll freeze it. So that way, whenever I'm in a pinch, I can just pull a container of sauce out of the freezer, warm it up. Mm-hmm. And there you go. And there's your pasta. So they'll, uh, they'll usually either ask for spaghetti or penne seem to be their favorites. And that's typically the go-to when we need, when we need a, a quick dinner. Um, but again, they're not opposed to, you know, the, the pasta with, um, with some olive oil and some cheese on it or pasta with butter. They just love their pasta. Well, I grew up on pasta with butter or pastina. Pastina, yeah, with the with the cream cheese in it, with the formaggino, oh, with everything, yeah, with the formaggino, with butter if you were yeah. sick, and the the funny thing, the formaggino is actually it's called laughing cow, you know, like the little little laughing yes. cow cheeses. Thank so you. For people yes, who I don't remember. know formaginos, that's what it is. Yes. It's laughing cow. We all <laughs> ate it. We all grew up on it, and it's like you can't eat enough of it. Um, and pastina is just like the little the little pebbled pasta right? Mm-hmm. Or the little stars. I, we used to have the, the Stellina pastina. So it was just little, little stars. I used to choke on the stars. I don't know why. I'm delicate that way. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, but what's your favorite Italian dish? My favorite Italian dish? Ooh, that's hard. You know what? I think it would have to be across, it would be a tie between pizza and pasta because both of them 
I find are so versatile mm -hmm. and you can do so much. Like pizza, especially, I call it a palette, my culinary palette, because I have done so many different types of pizza from like pesto pizza to white pizza to even dessert pizza. Like uh, what, uh, what some people may or may not know about me is that I'm a complete Nutella fiend. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you so see her Instagram, you'd never <laughs> guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, uh, of course I have to make Nutella pizza for dessert from time to time. Right. So <laughs> I do want to know what are you trying right now in the kitchen? Now, because of, um, uh, you know, the fact that we're um, all spending this time at home, um, I've actually gotten back to basics a little bit. So homemade bread, homemade pasta, those types of dishes that are, that are things you wouldn't normally typically make on a weeknight. Like I made uh, last week, I made cabbage rolls. You know, that's a, that's a pretty time consuming dish to make. It's not something you typically make on a Tuesday, you know? No, it's not because we, we have the time now. Exactly. So it, it's been nice to kind of just get back into the kitchen and, and do all those wonderful things that um, you didn't necessarily have time for. If there's anything that I'm getting from all of this time at home, it's the ability to get back to basics and um, just really enjoy the process. I still make my pasta by hand. You know, I do the well with the eggs and everything. And, and then I knead out the dough and then uh, pull out my mom's, I think it's 40 years old, 40 plus her pasta machine. And we still pull out the pasta machine, turn the crank handle. I love it. Cook it in general is so therapeutic, but then when you knead it and... <laughs> right? Like kneading dough. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most therapeutic things in the whole wide world. I'm Mary Mamalini, and you're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Jenny Arena, a blogger, sharing her love of traditional Southern Italian recipes. Oh, now I wanted to get into this because I know that you visited Italy not too long ago. Yes. Now, again, we're talking pre-COVID-19. Yes, pre-COVID-19, I know. I wanted to ask you, where did you go and what was your most memorable dish you had there? I traveled to Puglia, which was my first time in that particular region in Italy. I've, I've been to several regions in Italy, but Puglia had, had escaped me until now. Um, my boyfriend is from Puglia. So it was a firsthand view of this beautiful region. And what was the most uh, memorable thing I had? Um, okay, I'm going to have to say it's a, it's a tie between two. So the first is in a place called Martina Franca, which is in the Valle d'Itria area, this beautiful valley area of Puglia. And this particular area is famous for its capicolo. Oh, okay. The capicolo di Martina Franca. If I'm not mistaken, it's even like a DOP designation. And just phenomenal. So can you tell people who aren't familiar with DOP what it is? Sure. There's a classification system in Italy um, that identifies true Italian food. DOP, DOC, I can't remember, there's several of them. But DOP stands for Dorigine Protetta, so protected place of origin. So Martina Franca is the place that this capicolo is from. It has to meet a whole bunch of specifications demonstrating that it's made in that area for it to have that designation. So we, uh, we had just done like a, a morning full of like walking and touring and we got to Martina Franca and we went into the first um, uh, salumeria, or I guess deli would be the translation in English. And we asked for uh, a panino, uh, so nice um, bun of mm -hmm. uh, crusty pugliese bread. And they fill it with fresh mozzarella, 
and uh, this Capicolo from Martina Franca. And I don't know if it was the hunger, if it was all the walking, but it was, honest to God, the best sandwich I'd ever had in my life. No, and I can understand that because when I went to Florence, the same thing. Mm -hmm. It was a sandwich that was the size of my entire body. It was just huge. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. And what was the other one for you? And the other thing would have to be the focaccia barese. So I went to, in, um, in Old Bari, Bari Vecchia, Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very famous uh, focacceria, um, so a place where they make this focaccia bread, and uh, it was actually voted like it's it's voted the best focaccia not only in Italy but in all of Europe. So uh, I had to go, of course. What makes it so different? There's two types of focaccia. Um, I learned there's like a thinner crust, okay, and then there's the nice thick crust, which most of us are like I guess more accustomed to to seeing. And it was this really nice, warm piece of focaccia, like crusty on the outside, nice and soft and chewy on the inside. Perfect sweetness from the plum tomatoes. And the the kicker is whole olives. They are not pitted. The black olives. Oh, really? With the pits intact. Yeah. Watch your dental work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Be careful. It should come with a disclaimer, actually. Um, and you just, they serve it to you piping hot in a piece of, in a piece of like almost newsprint paper and you eat it on the street and uh, just, just amazing. Like it was just so So this but essay one, was yes. it uh, thick or thin? It was a thick one. It was a thicker crust and uh, probably, probably the size of my face was the slice. <laughs> oh my God, I'm drooling. Yeah, it was really, really good. Like it was just very flavorful. Um, you could just tell that, you know what, the simplicity of the ingredients, but all quality, like you could tell it was a good olive oil that they, that they cooked it in. The, the, the tomatoes were just perfect in terms of ripeness. There's just the right amount of salt that hit the tomato, like just everything perfectly done. And it was, it was, yeah, just a truly sensational piece of focaccia. Now we talked briefly about denominazioni di origine protetta. Let's get a little more into that. Why are these designations so important to have? I encourage everybody to learn a little bit more about it because you are actually learning where your food is truly coming from. Um, Because just because something says it's made in Italy doesn't mean it's authentic Italian. Right. So I've learned way back about my olive oil that you want to look for that DOP on there. Because what I found out years ago were that companies can actually say that it is made in Italy, but the oil is not necessarily from Italy. And it's not true virgin olive oil. It's the bottle that is made in Italy. So they're, they're classifying it made in Italy, which is not technically incorrect, but the product itself is not. And that's the biggest learning, I guess, that, that, uh, that people will get from this. I've actually been spending a lot of time um, recently learning about these classifications and these designations. Um, in fact, I, I, I had the opportunity to attend a masterclass recently, too, where a chef explained the differences between them all and, and, and broke down a lot of the processes. It's amazing to get one of these certifications that the things that um, these producers have to go through, they are like strictly controlled, monitored, and um, it's actually a really good thing to understand why a good uh, prosciutto di parma, like if you go to Italy and they slice you the real zio prosciutto di parma, why that costs so much more than something else you're used to seeing at your reg- at your regular grocery store. Please explain that for people yes. because a lot of people do not understand that. For example, prosciutto di parma can only be made in Parma, which is a, a region in northern Italy. The pigs have to be bred, raised, uh, slaughtered, everything has to happen in Parma. 
Um, and it can only contain specific ingredients too. So I, I, prosciutto di, true prosciutto di Parma really only requires salting. There's no pepper they add to it. There's no other seasoning. It's just good curing salt. Um, and then the time that it takes to cure, et cetera, et cetera. And then once it's cured, it actually gets a seal like stamped on it, like a fire, one of those fire seals. What do they call mm -hmm. them? Where you emblazon it on the, on the skin. And that seal has to remain intact. So if you're buying a pack of pre-packaged prosciutto di Parma, that is a no-no. That already is an indicator that it's not real. Because real prosciutto di Parma, the retailer has to show you that seal before they cut it for you. If that seal isn't present, they can't sell it as prosciutto di Parma. Now, if someone picks up that package and it's claiming to be prosciutto di Parma, what are they going to find differently? It's probably going to be a different flavor, first and foremost. If you taste real prosciutto di Parma versus something else, you, you will notice a taste difference. So it's not that it's it's bad for you. Then We're not saying that mm -hmm. it's bad. We're saying that you are not going to get the true flavoring that you're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And um, probably the best example you gave is with the olive oil, right? Like there's so many like, uh, you know, quote unquote, counterfeit olive oils out there. And Parmigiano is another one. Parmigiano cheese. There's a huge like underground market. No way. For parmigiano. Yeah, this is this is something I learned in taking all these master classes recently. There's so much fake parmigiano out there, believe it or not. For example, a, a, one of those big like wheels of parmigiano sells for at least $1500, at least right? at minimum. Yeah. And so if you're buying parmigiano that's like cheap, then you're pretty much guaranteeing that you're not eating the real stuff. Or or stay away from God, please, if it says Parmesan <laughs> on the bag. Definitely not. You're probably not even getting the cheese that you want. Are we getting cheese? <laughs> All right, rapid fire. Two cheeses to always have on your charcuterie board. Uh, parmigiano. And I like brie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's mild and you can flavor it with a lot of things. Oh, see, I love a good Asiago, too. Oh, yeah. Asiago's a good one, too. So you can only take five foods with you to a deserted island. What would they oh. be? Uh, pasta. Um, a jar of pastata, for sure, which is the tomato sauce, because mm -hmm. that way you can make your pasta. Some bread. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I'd have to take a piece of parmigiano cheese with me, too. <laughs> And it's not a food, but I would have to take some wine as well because you need something to wash your food down with. Well, they did start as grapes. Okay, so there you go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Favorite ingredient to cook with? Favorite ingredient to cook with? Uh, Nutella. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have made both sweet and savory for the record because I'm such a crazy Nutella addict nice. that I have, I have made savory dishes with Nutella as well. Nice. Who's your favorite chef? Um, currently, Jamie Oliver and Massimo Bottura. And favorite snack? Chips, I think. What do you listen to in the kitchen? Italian music. What's your favorite curse word to use in the kitchen? Uh, am I allowed to say it? Say it. <laughs> we'll bleep it out if it's... What is it? <laughs> Describe your culinary style in two words. Um, simple and traditional. Justin Timberlake brought sexy back. What would you bring back? Oh, what would I bring back? I would, you know what? I would bring back old school home cooking. Back to basics. That's what I would bring back. Name five English words that we've butchered into becoming Italian. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, gnocchi. 
mozzarella. Garbage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Becca. Becca. Becca is a bag. bag. Okay. Yes. Um, Donatza. Have you ever had that one? Garbage. Becca. Donatza. Oh, I, there's so many. I just been carro. Not mine right now. Carro, yes. So for people who don't know, <laughs> translation: garbici is a garbage. Carro is a car. So all we've basically done, the Italians, uh, the Canadian Italians, is we've added a vowel to the end of an English word <laughs> to make to turn it into Italian. Love it. <laughs> and lastly, do you have a foodie bucket list? Do I have a foodie bucket list? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. There's so many things on that list, actually. <laughs> okay, share some, share some. I love talking food. Um, so I have yet to be, I have yet to be um, in Sicily. That's one of the areas in Italy that I've never been. So I want to go and like eat authentic like arancini on the street in Sicily and go to the seafood market in Sicily. Um, mm -hmm. Believe it or not, I still haven't been to New York, so that's on my foodie bucket list too. Because um, I know New York's a pretty great food city too. Yeah, anywhere special in New York you want to try? Or anything uh, special? You know what? I just kind of want to go and, and like you know absorb the food scene, right? And then of course you experience know experience it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so would love to would love to do that. Um, what else? I um, I would love to go to Portugal too. Portugal's on my list. Um, I, I have several friends. You'll who love are, it. Yeah, I have several friends who are Portuguese. Yeah, just like I, I have Portuguese food, I enjoy quite a bit as well. Um, especially, I mean, oh my god, those uh, the, what do they call them? Natas, the the yep. custard, uh, the custard tarts. Oh my god. Oh yes. <laughs> and if you go to the place where they originated, mm -hmm. they are. I was double fisting those things. <laughs> they are so good. They are so good. Frank's like, can I have a bite? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? What else is on my foodie bucket list? I um, I would love, I, I think I would die a happy woman if I were to meet uh, Jamie Oliver. Oh, yes. He is probably one of my current favorites. Um, he's another one. I followed his career since like day one, since The Naked Chef. Same, yeah. same love him so i would love i would absolutely love to be able to go to 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 the uk and eat um at one of his restaurants and and quite possibly have a jamie sighting would be like i said i would die a happy woman <laughs> oh god if jamie if jamie oliver if you can hear this we need to come eat and have a meal with you jenny yes, and i yes and i need to get you on this podcast oh my god that would be amazing <laughs> i think i would pass out yeah that's a great list yeah, there's quite a bit. I really like to take the late Anthony Bourdain's approach to things. And I love the fact that he said, go to a country and experience the culture firsthand, like meet the locals, eat the local food. And, and, that's, and that's what I really enjoy doing. I'm not very squeamish when it comes to food. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's some things that kind of put me off a little bit, but I will, for the most part, try almost anything once. Um, even when I was in Puglia, I had a dish that they called it gimbretti. And it was like these little um, roll-ups that were made with internal organs of, I can't remember if, they, if it was lamb or, or cow, <laughs> but there were these little roll-ups and I know they were grilled. About. Oh my God, Mary, they were phenomenal. And they were like little, like they were probably about the size of my thumb and they were grilled. And I was just like popping them like there's like nobody's business. They were so good. But you know, it, you know, the idea of what they are might put people off, right? But then again, would you eat tripe? I love tripe. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's why you like those. Probably, yeah. Because tripe, oh, my God, one of my favorites. Really? Stewed. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. That's like, uh, oh, when, when my mom makes up a, a pot of tripe around here, 
we fight for it. Like, <laughs> no way. We love it. We love it. Like, it, because we, we make it like we stew it with tomatoes and potatoes. And um, my mom, like, will add a little bit mm -hmm. of chili in there to give it some heat. Oh, my God. Amazing. Oh, I wish I could share that with you. <laughs> I have a lot of scarring tripe stories. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Can't do it. But this is the time where I usually ask all my guests uh -huh. to share their kitchen confession with us. Ooh, kitchen tell, confession. Tell me you're willing to share one with us. I am willing to share for the sake yes. of for the sake of this awesome podcast. I'm willing to share for sure. <laughs> um, you know what? My kitchen confession, I would have to say, would be that in my kitchen, you will typically get not only a meal, but a show because I love to sing while I'm cooking. And uh, like, I always have music on and I will just break out into song. And I have been known to, to take the wooden spoon and use it as my fake microphone. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Dinner and a show. There you go. There you go. Oh, thank you for that. So if listeners want to reach out for more information, follow you along, um, chat with you, where can they find you? So I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Food Fables. Um, and my blog you can find on fablesandfocaccia.com. Jenny, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I thank had you. a blast. Thank you. Me too, Mary. This was so much fun. Thank you. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mamaliti. See you at the next episode.